Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian. This is Behind the Scenes with Brian. And today I am joined by Steve Cochran from Cyanco. Steve, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing very well today, Brian. Thanks for asking. Yeah, great. And we're recording this during the pandemic and hopefully the pandemic's not uh, negatively affecting you or your company or your family too much. Uh, We, uh, just like probably the average uh, family and company, have had our our fair share of, uh, you know, people getting uh, COVID. And uh, Mm. uh, luckily, uh, now, at least with the variations that are going around, they seem to be a lot lot more mild. Uh, No real issues with people being hospitalized in that. So uh, things are good. And our company has done well through the pandemic. uh, regarding, uh, you know, availability of uh, getting raw materials and producing cyanide and having the people uh, at the plant to be able to do that, uh, that are, aren't, you know, out impacted with uh, with COVID or family members with COVID, that type of thing. So uh, it's gone pretty well. Well, that's great, because that's the two of the, you just hit on two of the things that seem to be impacting a lot of companies. And one is availability of personnel and the other is the supply chain issues so it's it's good to hear that uh, those are not impacting you at least too much right our um u.s based you know out of nevada based uh, manufacturing uh, we bring our raw materials to us and then make the product close to the customer and get it to them. So it's a little bit different uh, supply chain than uh, than some other people that make the product out of the area and try and get it in here. So uh, that's one of the uh, one of the things that sort of sets us aside from from uh, your other cyanide manufacturers in the world. Oh, that's that's interesting. Well, Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, I had a. Uh, a perfectly logical progression into mining. Uh, I went to school at California State University Chico and studied uh, communications. Okay. So uh, <laughs> now I'm in mining. <laughs> uh, I actually I moved to uh, Reno about uh, 35 years ago. I think it was uh-huh. like in 1985. I moved to Reno, and uh, um, the the career choices that I took uh, decided I, I decided to move out to Winnemucca and get into mining. Got into industrial fire protection for a few years, and and then uh, uh, things sort of came together at the same time when Cyanco was first uh, built in Winnemucca and uh, went into production. Uh, I decided to uh, apply for a job in 1991, one year after they'd started manufacturing cyanide. And so I've been with the company uh, since then. I started as an operator, uh, went to college at night and got a degree in occupational safety and health and then mm. got the job as the health and safety manager for the for the company for, at our plant in Winnemucca. And uh, 
uh, things progressed over the years and I uh, sort of inherited uh, environmental department as well. So EHS manager. And then for about the last, I would think about eight years, I've been uh, uh, the sales position came open and I've been the sales manager for the United States for the company. Wow, that's very cool. Very cool. You know what, the, a company that I used to work for, I think, had something to do with your facility out on Jingo Road in Winnemucca, and I can't remember what it was, something about foundations, maybe. Um, was that, you told me earlier that you worked for Stantec for a period of time? And, and Night Peace, and Night Peace Old. Oh, okay. Well, I know that uh, uh, a precursor or one of the companies that Stantec uh, uh, ended up buying out several years ago, JBR. Yeah. Uh, yeah, JBR great. did our initial uh, uh, environmental permitting uh, uh, out there at the plant. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the the line of work you're in must have some interesting issues. So you guys make cyan, make and sell cyanide, and I I guess I it never occurred to me that you make cyanide. So how do you make it? Absolutely. Uh, so the we'll take you back sort of to the genesis of the company. The mm. idea was uh, back in the uh, mid to late 80s, there was uh, quite a expansion going on in mining in Nevada and uh, yeah. you know, a couple of the surrounding states, but really Nevada. And uh, they were buying cyanide in solid briquette form mm -hmm. from anywhere in the world that they could get it. Uh, typically in one ton bag boxes or flow bins, uh, which were one ton uh, like stainless steel boxes that were returnable, um, but uh, uh, re to be refilled. But the uh, you had to store a lot of the product on site. There was a lot of manual dissolving and potential exposure uh, associated with turning that uh, dry product into solution, which is how they use cyanide in the mining industry. And so uh, some folks came up with the idea of uh, building a liquid sodium cyanide plant in Winnemucca mm -hmm. um, close to the customers, bringing the raw materials to Winnemucca and building the, raw, the, the uh, cyanide there and delivering it to the customer in a usable form. Um, the reason that it was in dry product before that was liquid sodium cyanide you end up, it's 30% liquid sodium cyanide, 70% water and transporting that water is expensive, but uh, don't have to transfer it very, transport it very far, like from Winnemucca, just down the road to, uh, you know, Carlin or Twin Creeks or yeah, you know, yeah. Brown Mountain or, um, then uh, uh, it, it takes away the, uh, uh, the benefit, uh, the cost benefit of shipping dry product. Um, so we, we built the plant, we're the first liquid sodium cyanide plant in the United States. And uh, the market, uh, the customer base rapidly decided that that was a good way to go. Uh, there was another competitor uh, making uh, liquid sodium cyanide that came into the market right after us. They were in Green River, Wyoming is where they made their product. They trucked it out to, or they railed it out to uh, to Battle Mountain and delivered it from there. So we competed against them for several years, but we sort of won that battle. Yeah. And uh, um, and so that's where we, we we got into the market and started expanding. Um, and, uh, it's just been a great sort of ride since then. The, uh, uh, the, the market, uh, loves liquid sodium cyanide and uh, it's in a usable form, uh, and is used with great safety record, uh, to extract the gold and the silver from the ore. 
Yeah, and uh, it was beneficial that you were at the mining face, if I can use that term, rather than in Green River. There's not a lot of uh, metals mining around Green River, so that had to be a huge advantage just to be right there at the at the where, where the mines are anyway. Absolutely, we've sort of you know done an analysis of where we where we do business throughout the world and competitors that yeah. we have in this region and and our you know physical presence here and ability to interact and solve problems for customers when they come up with uh, manpower and technology and uh, uh, those kind of things it just is it, we can be very responsive and sort of nimble in our response and we feel that that's a a major portion of our our success in uh, uh in this region yeah so you mentioned safety and one that that is one of the things i think that comes to people's minds right away and a, a while back, I was at a town hall meeting, not in Nevada, but uh, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And there was, uh, you know, general public was there and mining representatives there trying to open up a new mine. And a lady way in the back of the room stood up and she got immediately red in the face and said, my pharmacist told me that cyanide is what the Nazis used to kill the Jews. And she sat back down as fast as she could because she was just embarrassed to blurt anything out. So, I mean, that that's just kind of the way that some people think of cyanide, that it's a deadly toxin and you must have to be extremely careful with it um, in, in order to... to uh, you know just work safely so how absolutely yeah how, how just tell us a little bit about your safety practices you bet so uh you you're you hit the nail on the head that cyanide carries a lot of like emotional baggage yeah uh, just with that word cyanide and and uh um you know just as um you know you could talk about gasoline for one thing. You say, well, that stuff burns. Mm. Yes, it does. And it could cause a fire. It could burn people or whatever, but we use it safely in our cars every day. And we let our 16 year old daughters and granddaughters fill their cars up. Uh, so it's all a matter of having the right work practices yeah. in place and understanding yeah. the hazards. Um, uh, working at the plant, working around cyanide for as many years as I did, um, I, gain, I certainly have a very good respect for it. It is a deadly toxin. It could, uh, you know, uh, if you ingest it, uh, it can be it can be uh, very very dangerous. And uh, but the trick is to uh, engineer your facilities properly, to uh, design them so that uh, that cyanide is compatible with the uh, with uh, the pipes and tanks and everything that you're that you're gonna put them in. Uh, design work practices and and procedures and those type of things uh, so that operators are are working safely with the uh, with without. Uh, exposure potential and then of course you know personal protective equipment when they do have to make and break connections or do maintenance work uh, is vital i i had lots of people come uh to the plant as new employees when i worked there and they said listen you know i've i've worked in mines for a little while or i've worked in other jobs that might be considered hazardous and you know my wife is really sort of uh uh, you know, concerned about me coming to work at a cyanide plant. And I said, well, sit down and, you know, after you go through your employee orientation, we teach you about the 
the, uh, the, the hazards of cyanide and what we do to overcome those hazards and work safely with them. Um, you know, usually at the end of that orientation, they would go back home and tell their, their wife and their kids, their mom and their dad, whatever, how, how they were, they felt much better about the, uh, uh, um, you know, the prospect of working around cyanide when they saw the, the safe work practices and, and the design of the facilities that we that we put in place. So we've had a fantastic uh, safety record with our employees that work with, you know, concentrated amounts of cyanide, uh, uh, you know, in large volumes every day. And then also when it's shipped to the mines and, and used, uh, uh, used at the mine sites. Yeah, and I don't know if it's still true, but uh, many years ago, I heard that there's never been any deaths at a mine in North America because of the cyanide uh, release. I, you know what? That's it. That I believe that that is still an accurate, uh, 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 you know, statistic. Uh, we're very proud of that. And and several years ago, um, you know, it was even that statistic was even used a little bit wider, you know, in North America as a whole and in the Americas as a whole. And then several years ago, there were a couple of cyanide related fatalities, accidents, exposures in, in Canada and Mexico. And, and what we did as a company to respond to that is we have a series of safety videos uh, that are like six or seven minutes long, each one of them. We show a section and then we discuss them with the, with the folks in the room. And, and uh, we, we added an additional safety video uh, called, you know, the safe work practices for working with uh, sodium cyanide. And it really focuses in on, uh, you know, most of these, you know, exposures uh, that we'd seen uh, whether they, uh, you know, whether the uh, the outcome was was positive, uh, you know, and the person making it through and everything, or not having extreme uh, signs and symptoms or whatever, or mm. you know, in the case of these couple of fatalities, um, were that they were usually done like during a downtime, a a, a process uh, maintenance shutdown, where uh, inexperienced people, maybe a welder or or someone had to uh, was opening, doing a line break or opening up a tank to do some welding inside a tank or something like that. And we really focus on the the safe work practices that, that you know, mine sites and industrial facilities have in place like line breaking permits and hazardous work permits, uh, hot work permits, um, uh, the use of the buddy system, mm. and uh, yeah. really, you know, doing a work hazard analysis or a risk hazard analysis, be analysis before they start a job. Um, you know, processes are designed to be, uh, you know, like our, our production facility is designed to be, um, uh, you know, it's designed to be run. It, it's a nonstop, it's a continuous uh, production facility, and it's designed to have raw materials coming in one end, have reactions take place, and have a uh, finished product coming out the end. And there's there are, you know, pressure, temperatures, uh, sensors, and level sensors, and those type of things throughout the whole process, monitoring those. But when you shut a process down and it's not running anymore, and, uh, you know, you have to be aware of where you may have trapped raw materials or trapped finished product that may be released if someone opens a pipe and all those kind of things so that's how we sort of focused on helping the industry understand the the hazards associated with these with these outages yeah yeah interesting and a few years back i can't remember when but we, we had a new thing come in place called the international cyanide code 
And I'm thinking that that didn't impact your company too much because you were already using some really good practices. It was probably more of an, uh, more, more impactful at the mining operations. Um, well, I'll tell you the, uh, so you're right in that our facility is highly regulated uh, by uh, OSHA, by EPA, by, you know, many regulatory agencies. And, and in the United States, that's, that's really, you know, a true statement across not only, you know, uh, chemical manufacturing, but also across mining as well with, with MSHA and, and state run agencies that do the, a similar function. Um, and when the International Cyanide Management Code was developed, they took the input of the end users and the manufacturers and transporters and uh, environmental groups from uh, around the world and even, even uh, uh, you know, some of the naysayers or a lot of them that had concerns about how cyanide could be uh, used safely around the world. And they put together this, this uh, voluntary code and um, the idea was to, to implement the best practices for dealing with cyanide, whether you're manufacturing it, transporting it, or using it at a mine site, um, to put those best practices in, in place, even in like countries around the world where they did not have a robust regulatory uh, structure. So that even if it was you know, legal to do a certain practice, but it wasn't as safe as it could have been. The cyanide code is designed to bring places up to that higher standard. And they have a, a whole series of, um, of policies and, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, they're not regulations, but they're, they're suggestions on how um, to operate to the highest standard. And then they have uh, auditors that will go around and will audit to, to make sure that those standards are being met in order for a co for a company uh, to be compliant with the code. And every three years, you have to go through a uh, a, a re audit or a uh, uh, a recertification audit in order to be found compliant. And as a mine site, uh, if you are going to be compliant with the code, a couple of the requirements are you have to purchase your cyanide from a from a code certified manufacturer, and it has to be shipped to your site from a code certified uh, transporter. So really, it's that it's that whole almost cradle to grave uh, a picture of making sure that the best practices are being used uh, uh, all the way along there. And I was with Cyanco when we helped develop the code, gave input to develop the code. Mm. And I was also the health and safety manager at the plant when we when we went through our first certification audit there. So I had a lot of experience helping customers uh, understand what goes on in a cyanide code audit and uh, uh, giving them an external perspective from uh, as a supplier to, uh, uh, you know, if we go on site and do surveys to see if we see any residue or any, any hazards that need to be addressed. Oh, okay, great, great. You know what, Steve, I don't know a lot about Sanko, the history, the who owns it and that, that kind of thing. Who, tell, tell us a little bit about that. You bet. Back in in 1990, when the plant was first built, it was it was a, a partnership between a company called MSI, which was Mining Services International, out of Salt Lake City. Their main focus was explosives. Uh, prior to getting into cyanide, 
Um, and they partnered a 70-30 partnership with Alta Gold way back then. Huh. And uh, um, a couple of years after that, um, when, after they got up and started, I went to work for them and started manufacturing cyanide, um, an international uh, cyan, uh, chemical company called, out of Germany called Degusa um, was, uh, they were selling dry product into this market, but that, that market sort of got disrupted when we put the liquid sodium cyanide plant in, in Winnemucca. And in sort of a, uh, if you can't beat them, join them kind of a uh, um, uh, effort, they bought out Alta Gold and became 50-50 partners with uh, MSI. And so for probably, I don't know, uh, off the top of my head right now, is at least 12, about 12 years or so, uh, MSI and Degusa were partners, 50-50 partners in Cyanco. And we uh, we did a lot of things at the plant as far as uh, um, optimizing our, our the, the process and, uh, and making it more robust and even built a second plant uh, once our first plant sort of got to the point where we, you know, you almost didn't have time to take it down to do maintenance on it because the demand was growing. So we built a second plant. And then um, uh, later on, and I don't have the, as far as the year goes, I don't have it memorized mm, off the top yeah, of my head. Uh, but, but another company, a private equity group called Oak Tree came in and bought, uh, um, they bought out both entities and hmm. uh, they Cyanco as a, as a whole, and they went into aggressive uh, mode as far as building production capabilities uh, at our plant in Winnemucca, and and more than doubled, uh, I think probably close to quadrupled the amount of production that we were able to make out of out of our plant in Winnemucca. Um, they also built a plant in uh, Houston, Texas, to dr hmm. make dry product and and distribute internationally. Oh, okay. And so we really ramped up our production capabilities, and and uh, and after they did that, then they sold the company to a, 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 another private equity group called Cerberus. Hmm. And Cerberus is our current owner, and since they've owned us for about a little over two years now, their focus has been on taking advantage of those production uh, capabilities. In other words, selling every pound that we can make. Um, the market right now is. Uh, 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 is growing and uh, we find that there are people out there wanting cyanide and we also added a a dry sodium cyanide plant uh, in Winnemucca so that any excess capacity that we had which was beyond the uh, you know the demand of the regional market right here we could make it into dry product and ship it out of Winnemucca uh, at a uh, you know a lower transportation cost because it was solid, and we can export that material to eager buyers and and sell it. So now now they're really focusing on you know taking advantage of of just being an efficient company and selling every pound or or ton that we can make, and uh, we've uh, we're, we're we're accomplishing that goal. <laughs> yeah yeah okay okay yeah you know Steve when I first started working in Nevada and this this goes back to the 1980s in the tailings facilities especially there was high concentrations of cyanide and until the sun and environment broke it down but they'd get some bird kills out there and the state started taking that pretty seriously and started putting fines onto the, the mining companies for bird kills and um, eventually people started uh, after after they gave up on bird hazing different type of uh, you know propane cannons or whatever to scare the birds off they 
decided, well, we've got to put these cyanide destruction units into it so that the cyanide level was pretty low when it got to the tailings facility. So did that actually help your business uh, when that happened because they needed to buy more cyanide or did that have any effect on you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how the effect that it has had is really not one that you might consider. Hmm. And we um, we have, that leads very well into a conversation about our, our applied technology group. And uh, our applied technology group sort of goes from, from uh, as I said before, you know, like cradle to grave, the manufacturer of cyanide to helping customers actually use as little cyanide as they can at their mm. facility. Okay. Uh, and all the way through detox, we do uh, uh, have expertise. We have a lab in Reno and we have expertise in, in doing cyanide destruct and even looking at different ore bodies and, and uh, slurry types coming out of processing facilities and determining what the best detoxification reagent would be. Um, we have cyanide control systems that help customers uh, hit their target uh, more often as far as putting oh. cyanide in the front end by looking yeah. at how much is coming out the back end and you know not having a whiplash effect where they open and close a valve you know too far each way yeah yeah and uh, um, our philosophy is that we would rather have a customer we want to, we'd like to sell them all the cyanide that they need but only as much as they need because uh, the longer they're in business the more economical they are the longer we can sell cyanide to them and be partners with them in the mining industry um, and in a in a processing a mill facility that you have a tailings uh, uh, effluent from um, by maintaining the proper amount of cyanide and not having too much in the tailings to start with then you have to use less detoxification chemicals as well so there's a double savings uh, many times the savings is greater on the detox reagents than it is in the actual cyanide savings themselves um, but uh, uh, along with uh, with tailings pond uh, cyanide level, uh, you know, uh, concentration levels that were in, enacted through the International Cyanide Management Code, uh, with uh, um, you know bird balls and netting that they put on uh, heap leach operations and those type of things, mm -hmm. um, it's really very uncommon now to hear about those uh about those bird mortality things but i recall back in the 80s going out to sites and seeing them have airboats on on uh, uh you know ponds and people yeah. just pay to drive around and haze birds off and like you say the propane cannons and all that so uh uh it's it's been a, a neat evolution to see the uh uh you know that that uh, move forward yeah, and much less cruel to the animals too. You know, when they're flying for 100 or 200 miles, if they see some water, they really want to sit down. They don't want to be hazed off with exploding things. And I remember <laughs> some some outfit that had uh, a guy with a shotgun and exploding shells, and they would just fire those off in the direction of the birds that are coming in. And, <laughs> just just traumatizing the poor birds with these things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Steve, it's, it's been great catching up with you, and I, I've really enjoyed uh, learning about cyanide and safe practices for that. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we part ways? 
Um, I would just throw out a few uh, little tidbits that might, uh, uh, you know, entice someone to connect with me to, to find out more about them or, or uh, if we had a second go round sometime. Yeah. Um, some of the things that we do to reach out to customers are our cyanide trainers meeting that we've got coming up in June. Um, the, uh, uh, like I said, our applied technology offerings, and we're going to be uh, helping sponsor upcoming uh, heat bleach conference. And, oh. and we like to go to conferences and having the, uh, uh, our applied technology guys, uh, uh, you know, help, help the customers and, and, and do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, be happy to, to talk again, tell you, you know, go into some of the chemistry about how cyanide is made and all those kind of things. Yeah, that, that's, that sounds really good. And, uh, We'll definitely have to catch up at one of these conferences a little bit more. We ran into each other at the AEMA in uh, Sparks, which is probably pretty close to where you live. But uh, yeah, we'll have to look for something coming up here in the future. Absolutely. I, yep. Yeah. Sparks, I, like yeah. three miles from my house and I'll be in Salt Lake in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, I hope that's a good turnout. I'm not going to be there this time, but hoping for the best for it. It should be a really good get together. Absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for asking me to participate today. Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your time, and I'll let you get back to your day. 10-4, thanks. All right, thanks, Steve. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.